Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome back to the one and only Cavs the Podcast, featuring commentary from all of your favorite Cavs the Blog bloggers. Thanks for listening to another edition of Cavs the Podcast. I'm Tom Pestak, back from a uh, week and a half hiatus, had to take care of some family matters, and I am joined by Ben Worth. Ben, is it still Easter where you are? I'm guessing it's not. It's it's probably the 28th now over in Germany. It is. It is. It is uh, relatively early in the morning on the 28th. We just finally had the uh, spring forward, actually, because uh, America does – the spring forward a few weeks before Europe does, which is really awesome for a while. We get a five-hour difference, and so I can watch the Cavs an early, a little bit earlier than the six-hour disparity normally. But we have sprung forward, so now it is ridiculously early on the Monday morning. So you're normally watching them at like 3 a.m. when they're on East Eastern time? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, I try to... I try to convince myself to watch them in the morning, and then I realize I'm still up around 1 o'clock in the morning uh, here when the game starts. And then once I start watching, it's really hard to turn it off. So yeah. it's, uh, it's I mean, whatever, I'm on a, an artist schedule. So it's, <laughs> well, it's, I, remember, it's I remember my master, or when I was uh, studying for my master's degree, and you know, class was at like 4 p.m., and I only had two classes at any one time. And my advisor, it was like, you know, I don't care when you work. I mean, just work on your thesis. So I, I, I was up all hours of the night. But um, anyway, so I'm going to be counting on you because I really have not seen a lot of the Cavs. I've, I've read about them. I've read our stuff. I've listened to, you know, like, hey, Wendy. I've read some of Jason Lloyd's stuff. And, you know, it hasn't been good. I'll say that. Um, but at the same time, I think there have been a couple of things – uh, maybe most notably LeBron's offensive performance that, you know, maybe are, are positive signs. Certainly the team is inconsistent, and I think everyone's sort of coming to the realization that they are who they are and um, trying to make all these changes on the fly at this point 
might be uh, just might make them worse. I mean, I you know, I guess so. And I know you and Nate, I talked a long time about the defensive struggles last podcast and about Mike. How do you say, I keep wanting to call him Mike Lombardi, but it's like Mike Longabardi or something like that. Longabardi, I guess. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so that clearly, um, I don't know how much effect he's had, but the defense has been poor since uh, Teron Lou took over and, and definitely since Longabardi showed up. So, um, But let, let's just start off. Let's Let's go back. Just one game. Um, the Cavs kind of laid the smackdown on the Knicks in the first half. Knicks, I think, cut it to ten, but the Cavs, you know, held them off. Um, what did you see uh, that game? I, I know you you were, you were talking before we started recording, and you said Love had a nice game. So you know, Love's had a lot of games where he hasn't played well or he hasn't showed up. So what did you see different in, in the Knicks game? Well, was another thing that uh, he was he was matched up with Porzingis and. Uh, he finally he, he finally played with real force, and Porzingis is such a skinny dude. And uh, the international prospect piece I did a couple years ago, and Porzingis was still I don't know like seventeen or whatever it was. Part of my biggest concern with him is just how long it would take him to become NBA strong. Um, and he's come a really long way with that. I mean, and he's he's had a nice rookie season, all things considered, especially with their coaching situation and everything. But it was really, really great to see Kevin see a, a big, you know, drink of water like Przingis and go right into his body with force. Um, he missed a, a few bunnies in the first half, but he was really playing with the kind of force that, that he needs to play with at all times. And it's almost shocking when you see that kind of force from him because you assume that it's not such a huge disparity between the way that he played in that first half versus the most, uh, most games, but it's just really is just whether he's grabbing uh, rebounds with, you know, impetus or whether he's just making a move into the, into the post. I mean, it's just a huge difference. So he, he succeeded pretty well against Porzingis going into the body with some jump hooks. And even on the, on the ones that he missed, I was just happy with the way he attacked the ball, uh, both in the air and just and toward the glass. So what? Uh, and you... even had. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. I was gonna say that he even even had some of his three balls dropping, which is just nice. So yeah. Well, I, I listened to you talk. I listened to you talk a while back about how his free throw trajectory is fool's gold because he shoots it a little too much uh, of a line drive. It reminds me of the way Wally Zerbiak at the end of his career really shot line drives from three. And from the free throw line, and his three point percentage just wasn't quite as good as you would you would think it would be, given his limitations elsewhere. And I've noticed the same thing yeah. about Love. You know, sometimes it just seems like when he gets more of an arc on it, it you get better results. And when he um, is kind of throwing it more than shooting, you know, and getting the getting the torque from from his lower body, um, you know, he just seems to miss more. So, so here's a question I have for you because. Um, there's been a little bit of talk about this and how the Cavs really don't know what they're going to get any night from anyone other than LeBron, especially offensively. So what do you, um, what do you think the issue is with love? Like when love has a really bad game, is it he's kind of tired or, or back spasms or is it a mental thing? Like why, why have we seen him go at guys like David West with force in that game where they beat the Spurs. And last night he just took it to Porzingis and other nights he just fades away. Do you, do you think it's a mental thing or a physical thing? 
You know, I would, after last season, I kind of thought a lot of it was physical, considering the way that his numbers always suffered at the end of games. Like, he would start off really strong in the first quarter, and then he, he would fizzle down the stretch. Uh, and then early this season, considering his success, he just looked like a different player. Like, he, he really had a lot more spring. And so I attributed a lot of it to his his body. But the more that this season has gone through, like, I just I think there's too much of a mental aspect to it to it as well. I think he gets really annoyed when he misses his three ball and they feature him so heavily early in games that if he doesn't start well, I think it, it just kind of messes him up as as the game goes on. I mean it's uh it's really nice when he doesn't make his first few shots and he still keeps playing with force and he and once he gets rolling it's it's but it happens so rarely that this seems to be like a once every 10, 15 games where he starts poorly, rebounds, and really plays. I mean, rebounds as far as not getting a board, but you know what I mean, um, and improves. So I don't know. I mean, you know, two of the last three games, I mean, he had a game against the Bucks where he had a really nice game, went eight for, eight for 14, dropped four, 24 in. And then, you know, he goes 0 for 5 against the Nets and, you know, it's just not the same, not the same kind of aggression. He doesn't get to the foul line. So I just, I think it's nice that he looks healthy, and he still is struggling at times where he shouldn't. So I think it's mental. You? Yeah, I mean, I, I last year, like you, I thought it was more physical. It definitely looked like, and it was not really reported that he was having back issues. But yeah. honestly, it could have been a little bit more. He was so different than Minnesota Kevin Love that I just figured it had to be some kind of nagging injury. And, I mean, I think he does have issues with back spasms. I mean, I know that did flare up on him last year. It, again, it's hard to say, like, well, was that the reason he was he looked bad on, on this particular game? Yeah, I'm not sure. But I certainly thought last year that while everyone was bemoaning um, how he didn't fit and everything, to me I thought, well, maybe it's just – his back's not right or something. Um, whereas this year, yeah, it does seem it does seem a little more mental. And I think part of the part of the problem with it being mental is that, uh, yeah, I mean, there's been opportunities for him this year to really assert himself, especially the games where LeBron hasn't played, and he really has not. So yeah. I, I don't know if um, you know if it's just his role in the offense has kind of made him second guess himself. And so, like you said, now he's taking a lot of threes and when he misses, he feels like, Oh man, I can't even do this anymore. I'm not sure what it is, but I, I do feel like the Cavs, um, they do have a lot of, uh, players with questionable, um, mental makeup. I think, uh, yeah. you know, I think Mozgov certainly is the one we would all point to as a guy that, um, you know, he gets down on himself and things get bad. You know, as, as good as he's been this year, J.R. Smith has a history of kind of melting down when things get really bad. Now, hopefully he's turned a corner, but we thought he did last year. And then, you know, he kind of freaked out on uh, on Jay Crowder in the playoffs. As well he should. I appreciate that freak out. That was warranted. <laughs> yeah, Crowder. I mean, I, I could have done without the closed fist maybe, but yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna thrash about a little bit down low while you're fighting for a board, certainly, you know, if you if you connect with Crowder, I'm okay with it. But it was just a shame that 
you know, the way it happened, he uh, he got suspended. But yeah. Kyrie, I don't know what to make of him mentally. I've I've always thought he was mentally fragile, um, and I, and certainly two years ago when when our own Robert Attenweiler did the interview with Brian Windhorst that kind of created a firestorm. Um, I was disappointed that Kyrie uh, kind of proved Windhorst right in that he kind of whined a lot about that, about the media and everything else. And it's kind of like, yeah. I mean, if, if you don't want people talking about how you're not a good leader and you're kind of mentally weak, then, and then shut up and play, you know, stop. Uh, making yeah, but to, give him, to give him some credit, I mean, he is, he has shown throughout his career that he is really ridiculously clutch. Well, and, that's true. That is true. And in the playoffs, I mean, he was playing pretty darn well for him anyway. Like as long as he was even moderately healthy during all, you know, fighting through all those injuries. So I think there's the, the Kyrie that's annoying in terms of why are you doing that? And why aren't you trying on defense? And yeah. also the, the kind of weird drama that, whatever kind of drama is playing between him and LeBron or LeBron and everybody and some of those weaknesses. But, you know, at some level, I almost feel like there's a possibility that Irving is just, he's too young to be able to honestly tell all these other people just stop the nonsense Yeah, because he hasn't been there and he hasn't, he's not the lead dog in the LeBron. But honestly, I think he's more probably naturally a lead dog and not a passive aggressive type. And yeah, I it's, think, well, it's hard to say. He doesn't seem yeah. passive aggressive, but I mean, first your first coach is Byron Scott, and then it's Mike Brown, and I mean, he's gone through all these coaches. And you're right. I I think LeBron sort of treats Kyrie like his kid brother. You know, yeah, he, he's not really ever going to let him assume that alpha dog role. Uh, whereas I think in maybe in Miami even though LeBron and Wade decided together that LeBron was going to be the focal point of the offense, I certainly don't think LeBron ever kind of, you know, looked down on Wade and gave him little kind of uh, metaphorical head pats like, oh, yeah, my little bro, D. I mean, Dwayne Wade's older than LeBron, first of all, yeah. and, he, and he won a ring before him. And I sort of think, you know, whether he might think of him as a peer, I think LeBron's always had a lot of respect for Dwayne Wade. So, um, there, you know, I think I think that could be have, taking a toll on Kyrie, where he doesn't always feel sort of free to play his his style of game. And and honestly, the the problem is maybe he shouldn't play his style of game. Maybe he does need to conform to, uh, you know, to a LeBron centric offense. That's been that's been the most burning question for me this entire season, is which way of running the offense is going to be more optimal because we've seen a uh, we've seen this year and last year an offense where maybe Kyrie and Delhi sort of ran the point um, LeBron you know is still mostly a perimeter player but he would be a little more off the ball and we've seen the opposite we've seen it where LeBron is the point forward and certainly in the uh, in the finals uh, it was pretty much all LeBron all the time and everyone else just kind of spaced the floor and, um, you know, LeBron in finals matchups, I think I want to say is probably 0-3 when he's the point forward. Would you, would you agree that the San Antonio in 2007, the first um, Heatles against the, the Mavericks, and then last year were the three times when really LeBron ran the point? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think a version of LeBron accumulating assists because he has high usage in in bringing the ball up and things like that and high dribble counts is the way that he is devastating. When he has high assists because he is attracting uh, so much attention, whether it's like short moves off weak ball swings or out of the post, I mean, that's when he's absolutely killing people. Um, and actually, you know, last last four or five games, he's been playing off the ball a lot more. Even if he is bringing the ball up the floor uh, quite a bit, he's a lot of the damage is coming off of uh, pretty decent movement from the offense. Um, I mean, that game against uh, Brooklyn, I mean, people want to look at that and say, okay, yeah, he dominated and he was the only person playing. But, like, actually a lot of that stuff came off good action from Delhi and, and even the, uh, Kyrie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the version of him off-ball LeBron getting the ball in positions where he can immediately do, you know, awful things to a defense is, to me, a much better version. I mean, as far as which offense is the best version, as far as, you know, LeBron-centric, I think any team that has LeBron, you know, as long as he's even approaching or near his prime, it's going to be LeBron-centric to a degree. I think the problem with Kyrie is that he's never had decent enough coaching consistently enough with a guy without LeBron around to undermine anything. I mean, I think if Blatt was left to his own devices with Irving and LeBron wasn't doing his LeBron stuff with all of that, whatever that may have been, uh, I think maybe there would have been a chance to see, you know, a Popovich-Parker type relationship build. Because, I mean, let's be honest, Parker was not the, is not the player that he is now well, if certain, Popovich didn't. Yeah. yeah. Like Popovich was so hard on him, and it's well documented in terms of what kind of movements he was allowed to do, how how quickly he had to move into his his uh, action, and not waste time. Don't hesitate. And any time that that Parker would over dribble in a spot, oh, you know, hear, it was not allowed. He'd hear about it. Yeah. yeah, or he'd be benched immediately, and right. like this this kind of thing. Or even just like the Nash type playing, like, you know, Nash did not dribble into a spot. The whole, like, what is Nashing it is just like constantly moving around with that live dribble, but in a way that is not, I'm in one place, the ball is moving around and confusing people. It's, it's I am moving bodies, my, right. my own body included. Right. Uh, so, you know, I think that can work with, with LeBron-centric and Kyrie playing a version of himself that is, that is more directionally oriented in, instead of ball trick oriented yeah so. i i guess the the one that the offense that i prefer i think based on what i've seen this year is generally um it, it's going to be a lineup of uh delhi Kyrie, lebron kevin love and tristan thompson i think that is my favorite um at least closing like closeout lineup and i know sometimes instead of delhi you'll have jr or iman but um i like the LeBron Delhi uh, left uh, wing uh, two man action that they both mm-hmm. they try to create uh, something to get LeBron the ball where he's got a mismatch and then if if Le- they trap on LeBron he kicks it out to Delhi and if they have a good matchup then I like when Kevin Love flares and LeBron finds him and I like Kyrie on the opposite wing the right wing where I feel like he's a better shooter on the right side, whereas LeBron is a much better shooter on the left side of the court. 
Way uh, better. Good. Way yeah. better. Yeah. And so I like then where I, I really do like Kyrie in catch and shoot situations because I much prefer him doing fancy dribbling off the catch than when he brings the ball up the court. I just feel like he wastes less energy. Um, it takes less time off the clock. Uh, and then, uh, and then have, you know, having TT crash the boards. I mean, he, his role is pretty well defined. And if the players are set up differently, where you have Kyrie in the left corner and you have LeBron on the right wing playing off the ball, then that's usually when you get the Tristan high screen for Delhi and Delhi kind of probes. So, um, I just, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I really love how, I know how complicated the Spurs practices probably are and their scouting departments and their coaching and everything they do. I mean, they've revolutionized the game twice in the Tim Duncan era, in my opinion. And, uh, and despite that, I like how kind of their, their identity and their strategy is kind of simple, you know, and it's changed. It's changed again. Now that they have Aldridge, I've noticed they've gone back to a more, uh, 90s style offense. Have you noticed that with Aldridge? They, they let him pound in the post a little more. They take more mid-range yeah. shots. But, I mean, they just figure out a way to make it work. I mean, they're, they're, they're proof positive that it's not just the system. It's the fact that you have an identity and you have the personnel to match up with it and you just execute it. It doesn't, it's not like, well, this system will best this system. It's just like how, optimal can you get your team to run your stuff uh and so i i would you know I, again it's it, the Cavs. the hope right is that they have another gear in the playoffs which i think they do especially lebron has i know he has another gear uh so i mean defensively he absolutely has uh, i mean he's in second gear defensively right now and he's he can get all the way up to five for that so uh, so let's talk about the second gear um yeah, how do you think – do you think that's trickling down and, and giving the team overall kind of bad defensive habits? Do you think – how culpable is LeBron in the defensive slide? Or is – you know, we've talked about Lou. We've talked about Longabardi. Um, but if you had to say, well, here's what I don't see or I do see from LeBron that I think is kind of hurting the team defensively, um, you know, what, what would you – what would be your response to that? Yeah, I think this is the the – aspect of his not leading by example that is most detrimental to the team and the team skill set building process, I guess. Um, He has been outright disastrous at times, just losing his guy off ball. I mean, he just doesn't, he just doesn't pay attention so frequently to guys off ball where he's getting back cut all the time. And and rebounding, he's he's been in and out when he decides to rebound versus when he doesn't. Um, and for a whole team, you know, if he weren't the type to talk about leadership all the time and to talk about his guys and, and all of the, the lip service that he puts into leadership, it, I don't think it would matter as much. But because he does that, I think, guys, it's too easy for an immature player who's who's looking at a superstar like LeBron kind of hoping that the war uh, did, I, did I lose you, Ben? For what he says. Can you can you say that again? Am I, I not you, there? You kind of cut out at the just at that last part. Okay. Um, yeah, just saying that like 
it wouldn't surprise me if a, a few guys on the team, when they hear LeBron talk the way that he does, uh, it can get tiresome to hear a guy constantly talk about leadership and then you see on the floor and in the fl- film room just a guy missing easy back cuts and not boxing out and doing simple basketball plays uh, on the defensive end. Do you, and, think, do you think some of it is sort of a, an entitlement mentality that's not necessarily incorrect in that, you know, the, the team is going to, we, we obviously understand that uh, the team is going to play better if their best player leads by example and plays really hard on defense and um, thinks about backdoor cuts and, you know, boxes out. LeBron rarely boxes out. He kind of just jumps over people. Uh, and that's been he's been that way his whole career, really. But um, yeah, I, do you think LeBron sort of feels like, look, I carry such a burden with this team, and I'm going to have to do it again in the playoffs, and I got to conserve my energy. All these role players making asinine amount of money in comparison to me need to just do their damn jobs. And if I coast here and there on defense, that doesn't mean they get to. I mean, do you think? Like, I can sort of justify that in the big picture, but I can also recognize that if that is what's happening, I could see how that would be detrimental to other players. Um, do you think it's maybe so, something like that? Yeah, so let's be honest. LeBron James has turned almost every player he has ever, ever played with into, an, into a role player with the way that he plays and with the way that he attacks the game of basketball. That's true. There are... There are two guys basically who have not allowed themselves. No, there's literally one guy who's not allowed himself to turn into a complete role player in his entire career. And that's Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade. That's it. And he kind that's of it. became a little bit of a role player. Uh, yeah. When they won yeah. Those I mean, two he, titles. He, he at least became a secondary. He was a player second banana. That, yeah. He was a second yeah, banana. But like a legitimate second banana. And, and, it took a superstar who already had an incredible amount of success before LeBron came to Miami to at least maintain a second banana status when it's, you know, on the offensive end, at least because Bosch did play some great defensive. I mean, Bosch was the second best player on those teams because of his defensive presence. But in any case, LeBron does this to everybody. And we hear this constant conversation of LeBron needs help. LeBron needs help in LeBron's head. I'm sure he would be happy with four guys who played amazing defense and spotted up, and he had if he gave him one pick and roll partner, mm-hmm. like I think that would be his his optimal basketball enjoyment, um, and that's on LeBron. It's it's on his teammates to either you know power through that problem, but it's it's not all of his teammates. I mean, how many guys has he have has he played with that? Because we have this idea of what LeBron is, he makes everybody better around him, and he does. I mean, all of his teams are great because for the majority of his career, he was the greatest player on the planet. But there comes a point where giving those guys open shots is not actually making that team so much better or improving all of those guys' play. Um, So for me, that kind of leadership defensively, when you have – one guy of this, uh, you know, this attempt at a big three, Kevin Love, who falls asleep defensively, just astoundingly snoring on backdoor cuts, and that's a problem that LeBron has. 
And then you have a guy in Kyrie who just, just flat out doesn't try at times. And that's a problem that LeBron has. If LeBron didn't fall, you know, victim to those two awful habits, maybe Kyrie and Love wouldn't do that as frequently. Now, is that all on LeBron? Of course not. But is it at least a little bit on LeBron considering he runs the team and he is in charge of everything? Yeah, it is a little bit on him. So I think it's important. To to your point about um, everyone turns into a role player. I mean, I remember watching all those FIBA games back in even like 2008 when he's on this sort of dream team of sorts with guys like Chris Paul Kobe and, and, and LeBron was, was really the point guard. LeBron led the team in assists. Uh, yeah. He, he kind of handled, ran the show. Um, so what's interesting to me is that I feel like LeBron, if he really wants to continue to be dominant in Dick's sort of his, um, his late thirties or mid thirties, even he really need is going to need to embrace kind of playing off the ball because you could just expend a lot less energy and still be effective. Right now, LeBron expends less energy by kind of passing it away after he tried to do something, and then he just kind of stands in the corner. Whereas I feel like if he was just kind of uh, baseline to baseline, kind of moving around a little bit, establishing some position, picking his spots, uh, coming up to the perimeter maybe every now and then when he's got to bail him out or – um, you know, kind of hiding back there so he can make a hard cut. I think he could continue to be devastating and expend less energy. Um, and so, but that's going to require he... good point guard play. And if he keeps kind of turning point guards into shooting guards everywhere he goes, uh, yeah. Yeah, that becomes harder to do. Well, it also requires him to become a better roller in the pick and roll. And, in a league that now is all pick and roll or pick and pop, he can't pick and pop because he can't shoot. Now we can think that maybe he'll become a better shooter with age. And I always assumed that he would, but since he's been back in Cleveland, he really hasn't. Uh, but I don't think it's out of the, the realm of possibility that he could become a better shooter again, if he gets his balance down, but the role issue, if you're going to be a big man in the, in, in an off ball kind of role, in the NBA now, you have to be able to screen and roll to the hoop with better efficiency and better willingness. Right. When he rolls to the hoop on that left uh, pick and roll with Delhi, especially, it's amazing. It's fantastic. And Delhi will always find him, but he does it so infrequently. And it's usually only when Delhi kind of passes the ball to a place where he's forced to roll to go get it. Um, and so as, as LeBron goes you know, there's always the, what was the, the line? And maybe it was from Bill Walton, sort of the um, Dwayne Wade was a knee injury away from becoming a, what was a Steve Francis type player? I can't remember what it was. And then the <laughs> and LeBron was a, a knee injury away from becoming a Carl Malone type player. Yeah. And like, that's the kind of thought, like as he gets older, he should become more and more like Carl Malone. And, you know, his mid-range shot, it's still fine. I mean, like he's doing incredible damage uh, from close when we're when we're talking twelve and in. If he rolls, he's gonna make those shots, or he's gonna collapse the defense. And he just doesn't. So, right. I think that's a, a when you talk about expending energy, picking and rolling does not expend too much energy. But he's that's his weakest aspect is the roll. 
he like he's a decent post player because he's so strong and he gets great post position. But yeah. establishing good post position is a lot of energy, and it's right. a, it's it more like weightlifting. Yeah, yeah, it's weightlifting it, it versus running energy. around. Right. And when he gets to dribble with the ball and feel good that he has the ball in his hands, because everybody likes to have the ball in his hands, you know, right. it's uh, it's actually not so much energy to to do a couple dribble moves against air. So. Who is your uh, who is who is your favorite um, sort of uh, power forward that plays well off the ball, or, or who comes to mind for you that you like? Man, that guy just knows where to go, where to roll, where to pass to. Um, you know, doesn't need to be the man, but is very effective. I mean, it's a guy like Draymond Green. I guess he's he's very good off the ball. Yeah, well, I mean, the interesting thing about Green now at this point is that he's, because of the way that they always are blitzing Curry in the pick and roll, I mean, that's there's a reason why, you know, Green's leading the team in assists because he's constantly playing four on three once he right. gets to that middle. Right. Um, to be honest, it's, it's a lot of those lineups with the Spurs, the way that Kawhi Leonard plays, he's playing power forward. and But, I mean, that's kind of cheating. Um, well, you know, guys, the other guy, the other guy that's having a down season, but I feel like he'll be a factor in the playoffs, uh, is, uh, Boris Diaw. That guy, I got, I so you much. know, Nate and I talked about him last week too. I mean, he's just, he's, he's like watching, I, they, all right. So the other night during, uh, the game where we had on an email thread, but one of my favorite lineups that I've seen from anybody this year was the all geriatric lineup from the Spurs. <laughs> where they had they had the that Duncan, David West, Ginobili, Kevin Martin, and Andre Miller. Oh, I forgot they. Oh, I forgot they added Kevin Martin. Oh yeah, yeah. that's and right. The only thing that would have been better is it was against Memphis. The only thing that would have been better if if somehow they could have traded in game Vince Carter for Kevin Martin and put Carter on the Spurs, which makes me sad. I really would like to see. Carter on the Spurs. Carter has really but, prolonged his career. Like he, I, I'm impressed with how good he's been this long. He's been fantastic in this kind of secondary role. This right. or now tertiary. I mean, he really made the switch. You know, now this season he's, he's been rough. He hasn't been as good. But even a couple of years ago, when he was still 37, 38, I mean, he was really solid. Yeah, I mean, he became uh, such a great three point shooter. Yeah, and the thing about uh, and his defensive positioning and his length allowed him to still, you know, maintain on that end. The thing that blows my mind, I just love Andre Miller. He's been one of my favorite players his whole career. Of How course, is he still playing? He he's playing because talk about a guy who does what he knows how to do and he plays under control, his control, but understanding how to change tempi, how to change. So that's a musician tempo. <laughs> it's going plural for tempo. Tempo, as I'm supposed to say in English, right? Yeah. Um, he's able to change that. He plays on the floor, so he never gets injured because he just doesn't need to jump every now and then. Or he only jumps every now and then. And he is, to- I mean, he, it's beautiful to watch. I just love the guy's game. He's actually been fantastic with the Spurs, which is not in any way surprising, but like, in limited minutes in, in a very short time, I mean, he's been killing it. Um, but that lineup just made me, it just cracked me up. Like, it was just a, an example of guys who know how to play, 
who are still playing for a long time because they know how to play even if they go in slow motion. It doesn't right. matter. They're highly skilled, and they know exactly what they're doing. So I just um, thought of a really interesting question for you. So you know how we're sort of in the age of the point guard, and there's, you know, there's, I guess Steph Curry is the best point guard if you consider him a point guard. And then there's about eight guys that, depending on the day, you could make the case is like the best point guard. You know, we got we got Russell Westbrook, we got Kyrie Irving, we got John Wall, we got Kyle Lowry, your boy, we got Chris Paul. I mean, yeah. it was just who am I leaving out? We got Damian Lillard. We got so many uh, really talented point guards. So of this crop of you know under thirty point guards that are just tearing it up, who do you think will be of that group still playing at like age forty? Like who will who will be? like Jason Kidd, like Andre Miller, maybe even Steve Nash to a lesser extent, really good even um, into their late 30s, early 40s, if you, had to, if you had to pick out of all these guys? That's a good question. I think there are a few guys that you just like can scratch off immediately. Like I think, I think John Wall is out of the league pretty early. Just because he's, um, he's so predicated on that quick first step and the transition game? Yeah. Yeah, and he's and he's just not a great shooter. He's he's not as bad as he's had to do before, but I mean he's just not a good enough shooter. And I don't see the way that he's a bad shooter, I don't know if it's gonna have a huge uptick. Like sometimes actually guys who have a more obvious flaw, you can sign to kind of see that maybe they'll figure it out when they fix the flaw. He's actually got pretty good technique, but it's just not very good. But you know, maybe I'm I'm wrong on that one. Um play until they're forty. Let's see. I think Curry lasts a really long time because he could probably turn into Steve Kerr at some point and play until he's 50. Yeah, that's a um, good point. He's got the release. So, and he's tall enough. He's never going to get his shot blocked no matter what happens to him. You could put it, you could put yeah. lead blocks in his for, for shoes. And I feel like he still wouldn't get blocked. Yeah. So it's a question. I mean, what was that? The other day he was, the, it was like the first time that he had been blocked all season on a three attempt. Yeah, wasn't which it was like, like it wasn't like Giannis that got him or something. Someone yeah, like, like just that, that's an astounding him. stat. Like, how is that? I mean, how many hundreds of threes has he taken to already? Yeah, it, it is astounding. Okay, um, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you. I think Curry has longevity. He'll have longevity at his side. He's a good passer. I what I can't get about get over about Curry is how good he is defensively. Like, if you ask the common fan, they'll be like, "Oh, well, you know, he's the best offensive player in the league." It's like. He really knows how to play defense, system defense. He he gets right up in people's faces because he knows that he's got that back line helping him out. So he plays over aggressive and it helps them because it forces the offense to do something. And then, you know, it's like the offense is reacting to him and then they just yeah. like swarm. Um, it, it almost bothers me. It's like, how can this guy also be a good defensive player? Like that, I just, uh, like, how is this guy so good? Okay. So <laughs> well, I'm speaking of you. defensive point guards. Yeah. Lowry, I think, Ru- I think Rubio, well, I love Larry, but you know how much I love Larry. I think Rubio lasts a really long time in the NBA. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I Even though he's had he all is, these injuries leading up till now. Yeah. I think he's got such good size, uh, that his his you know he's a, he's able to guard three different positions depending on the night, and he is smart enough with the ball and a more uh, such a traditional point guard that I think that he, he's able to to last in the same way that you know 
you know, Andre Miller, we talk about guys who last a long time because they can shoot. Andre Miller is not a great shooter. He doesn't no, take threes ever, yeah, you know, and, and he's still able to, he plays under his, with his pace and he's not an above the rim player. And, and Rubio has a lot of those, uh, those characteristics and he's big enough. I mean, the Rubio just doesn't jump much. Um, I think also he's, he's a better shooter than his numbers have always indicated. And I kind of feel like at some point there's a chance that he takes, even if it's not a Jason kid level jump, I think it's that kind of jump of, of shooting improvement uh-huh. as he, as he ages. Kid, as I, kids I, was remarkable. Like he became a dead eye yeah. spot up three point shooter, which he couldn't hit anything in his prime. You know, teammates are, are underrated in terms of shooting for guys. I think, you know, Nowitzki really helped kid shoot. I think Ray Allen, for all the jokes about Ray Allen coming to the Cavs, and, like, I don't think he would be necessarily a useful uh, player for the Cavs, but I think he did help LeBron shoot. So, they're, you know, these guys do play shooting games all the time. They watch their their, their teammates, and when you're sitting next to a coach who's telling you about, okay, where should the ball come off the fingers – that's one thing versus, you know, watching this a Hall of Fame type shooter right next to you just drill 95 out of 100 threes mm-hmm. and be like, you know what, I can do a lot of stuff. I may be the greatest player in the world right now or the greatest point guard or whatever, but I can't do that. Like, what is that guy doing? I, sh- I should be able to at least kind of do that. So and, I, uh, I, I got one for you, Ben. Um, yeah, man. You know, if if I would have asked myself this question like four or five years ago, like what of the current <laughs> what of the current point guards will play till they're like forty, I would have said Jose Calderon, uh, <laughs> and he has really not been good the last two years. Do you think it's just because he's on the Knicks and they're just awful? Like they basically gave us J.R. Smith as like the poison pill. I mean, they're that level awful. Or like if he went to a different team. Um, you know, he would, he would get back. I, I, he's always been a terrible defensive player. I get that. But for a long time, he was one of the better offensive players in the league and he's just not doing anything these last two years. And he's only 34. He has good size and he's, you know, really a great shooter. Um, you know, he, I think he, uh, set the, one of the all time records for free throw percentage in a season one year he made yeah, he missed yeah. like he missed like two free throws out of like 160 free throws or something insane um, yeah it was some 98 percent something like that right yeah it was like 98 percent yeah yeah it was, just, uh, it was just yeah i think i think he's been a little bit lost on that team with with the you got to hide him defensively for obvious reasons because he's just not quick enough laterally to stay in front of his man. So you have to you have to give him good support, and the Knicks have not really had the, the, the guys to do that for the majority of the time. More specifically, Mello is not a good defender, so he's kind of undermined the rest of the, the defense for the last, you know, his whole career. But offensively, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do like – you know, like my whole rant last week about the triangle, I do see that there there's there many things about the triangle that have places in the NBA all over the NBA. But the Knicks do run a pretty a pretty tight version of the triangle, which doesn't leave as many opportunities in pick and roll ball as Calderon might like. Um, 
and he hasn't been playing with a great role, man. Mm-hmm. But I think you know, you put him in a better situation. He can he can keep going. But you know, even Calderon at his best was not a. Uh, in the NBA, he's had trouble being assertive in the way that he has been assertive in international play. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know. Maybe he gets on a team with a coach who says, like, listen, man, just just do it. Just go. And and he can have some of those flashes. Because every now and then, I mean, he really just, just explodes and will drop 15 in a matter of six minutes. And then you don't hear from him again for two weeks. Right. Um but yeah, it's funny. I, I do. I've always liked Calderon's game, but it's just never really translated to the NBA, especially with his, his aggression and in international play. Yeah. All right, Ben. This is I, we could talk about every player in the league, but I promised you right. that this would not be long in the tooth. So we got to move on a little bit. Um, so I want to play potent perceptions, and then I want to. Uh, ask you just uh, some closing thoughts about uh, LeBron and Moscow. So let's play potent perceptions. So uh, this first one has nothing to do with the Cavs. I have found Ben, and I don't know why this is. Maybe you can. Maybe you have an analog to to this. I have found that I have a lot of trouble distinguishing between Corey Brewer and Jeff Green. I I, <laughs> I, I feel like they're always traded at the trade deadline. And they're both like always. Um, they're like they're like as seen on TV gifts. Like they seem really cool until you open them and start using them, and you're like, this kind of sucks. You know, it's not really that useful. Uh, so I want to play a little pun perceptions. I'm going to give you ask you some questions about these guys, and I want you to identify who I'm talking about: Jeff Green or Corey Brewer. Oh, jeez. Okay. Um. So. <laughs> Both of these guys are they're essentially the same age. They're both uh I think let's see. So Brewer just turned thirty this month. Yeah. And Green will turn thirty in August. Okay. So they're practically the yeah. same age. Uh Green is six nine and he's bulky, he's two thirty. Brewer is six nine and he's rail thin, uh one eighty six. So Yeah, that guy I, looks like he was stretched. He looks like a, a fun mirror. Yeah, yeah, he does. All right. So if I had to ask you who shoots a better percentage from two between Corey Brewer and Jeff Green, who would you say? On oh, two, man. Two point On two-point baskets. You know, I would say Brewer, but I feel like it's a trick question, so I'll go Green. So it is Brewer. Go with your gut. Um, All right. But this is what's funny. They're practically negligible. Brewer shoots 475, so I got to go out to the third decimal place. Green shoots 473. (laughs) So they're practically the same. Um, All right, so we'll ask the question tomorrow and see how it happens. Now, who has gathered more career uh, uh, assists, Brewer or Green? Brewer. Even though he never passes. You are two for two, so get this. Corey Brewer, in his career, has 1,041 assists. Guess how many Jeff Green has? Uh, between six and fewer than the number you just said. <laughs> One, I know he's got at least six. He's got he's got <laughs> 1,040. Oh well, it's a basically the same. They have almost the exact same assist numbers. Uh, 
Now, one of these guys shoots much better from three point land. Can you can you name who that is? Mr. Brewer. No, it's Green. Green. Are you shoots, serious? Yeah, Green shoots thirty four percent from three. Corey Brewer. His, his, he's he's, a rough, he's, he's yeah. jacked up uh, almost fifteen hundred threes in his career, and he has not made even five hundred of them. So he's shooting sub thirty uh, percent from three for his career. So anyway, I just. Uh, Man, it's really wow. Yeah, like, isn't it? How do you, if you switch these guys, would anyone know? I mean, wh- well, yeah, because Green one scores guy- a little more and he shoots better from three. Um, you know, Brewer, uh, Green Green's a little bit better player, but not by much. No, he's like, not. See, that's that's the difference. No, he's not. So Green, like, that's this is how I distinguish the two. Green looks like he should be good, only he does awful things all the time, and he has no left hand, and he doesn't have even one super skill that helps your team. Where Brewer understands that he's a role player. He doesn't try to be a superstar ever. Nobody gives him the, you know, no one looks at him and expects him to be a superstar player. He just does his role player thing. He's great in transition. He plays some good defense every now and then. He does actually hit that corner three with, Somewhat regularity. So I'm, I'm curious what the, his corner three stats are versus oh, the rest okay. of it. Maybe, well, maybe he just can't. Maybe he just can't hit anything from anywhere else. Um, and the bigger thing is that teams don't immediately win all their games the second they trade away Corey Brewer. Where the second Jeff Green leaves their team, like the, a winning streak <laughs> is is on the way. <laughs> it's like the uh, the Josh Smith or what did Bill Simmons call it? The the Ewing theory. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the Josh Smith effect last year was phenomenal. Do you remember that? Where the uh the Pistons were like six and twenty and they they just like cut Josh Smith and they went on this crazy winning streak. Um you know, props to Josh Smith to, to making it up in the playoffs, man, because he was he was great against the clips. Yeah, yeah. But that started off rough for him. But you you are right. Yeah. Brewer is an assassin from the corners. Maybe he's got a little bit of the Bruce Bowen thing going on because he can't hit anything from anywhere else. And Brewer is a better defensive player. Green is awful on defense. Um, they're yeah, both, like Brewer they're both will help your team, but not Green. I, I feel like I feel like you can win a championship if Brewer's in your in your rotation, and you have to rely on him to do the things that Brewer wants to do because he's just. I mean, he loves getting out in transition. I think if you want to rely on Green doing the things that Green wants to do, yeah. you're not winning anything. So who has played for more teams? Oh, man. I think I think Green has probably caught him over the last couple of seasons because he's been bouncing around so much. But it's hard. I'm, Brewer, I'm going... Brewer has played... Technically, Brewer has played for... Seven? Uh, four teams, but he played for Minnesota twice. So he's moved five times, and oh, wow. Green has played for four teams. So All right. Anyway, okay. Now we're going to get onto the Cavs for potent perceptions. So uh, one of the things I've enjoyed doing, and I was sort of forced to do this back in the dark years, was look at like two, three, and four-man lineups because there were really no five-man lineups back in the day <laughs> that yielded any, any fruit. So, um, so if you look at that now, and if I, I took – so I, I sorted all the Cavs five, uh, three-man lineups by point differential, 
And I made the cutoff a hundred minutes. So, you know, if some random lineup with Sasha Khan like killed it in two minutes, I, that's all filtered <laughs> out. So there is an interesting trend. Name the player that shows up in eight of the top ten uh, best three-man lineups. Eight of the top ten. Yep. He's in the and... top five. He's not in six or seven, and then he's in eight, nine, and ten. Is there a player, can I ask a question? Is there a player who's in the top ten of ten? No. Eight is the max. All right. Then if I had to go one, because I'm not going to go with LeBron, because that would be a boring question, I'm going to go with Delhi. You are correct, sir. It is Delhi. Uh, shockingly to me, the top three-man lineup that has played 113 minutes, so they've, they've played together, is Delhi, Love, and Mo freaking Williams. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Wow. That's and, crazy. And that team uh, actually rebounds very well. Uh, and they shoot a lot of free throws, like a lot of free throws. Um, oh. And they are plus 27. Now the next one. How makes, much minutes again? What? Did, how many minutes uh, you say that was? One hundred and thirteen. So more than like two that's, full games. That's, that's actually kind of legitimate. It's yeah. actually kind of legitimate. Uh, the next one is Delhi, Kyrie, and Kevin Love. They're outscoring opponents by twenty-one points per game. Then there's Delhi, LeBron, and K Love, which has played a whopping seven hundred minutes together, and they are outscoring po- opponents by twenty points per game. So yeah, that's that's that is that a is legit. Lineup. Just play Delhi. Just play Delhi. Like, yeah. and don't talk about getting rid of love in the lineup. Like, well, that's that's other, what that says. So the number. So Delhi shows up in the top five, uh, and then number six and seven have do not have Delhi, but they both have LeBron and Kevin Love. And number seven is an interesting one because it's played the most minutes. It's played 913 minutes, and that's LeBron, Love, and TT. And that lot, that three-man combo is outscoring opponents by 17 points per game. So that, that's pretty good too. Uh, but I yeah. just that was interest. That was interesting to me. I thought I would have seen LeBron uh, more than that, but actually, Delhi shows up eight times. LeBron shows up. Let's see, one, two, three, four. He only shows up four times in the top ten. Actually, Kevin Love shows up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Kevin Love shows up eight times as well. Look at that. So just like I, so that the answer is actually both (laughs) Billy and Kevin Love. That's kind of interesting. Now I'm not saying those players are better than LeBron. Certainly they're not in an individual. Um, if you just look at those players, individual plus minus and things like that, LeBron's still the best on the Cavs. But okay, for yeah. our second potent perceptions, I want to get into what we were talking about before a little bit with, you know, is Kevin Love is it more like mental or physical? Uh, so let's start with Love. Um, what would you say his uh, his defense or his uh, offensive rating is on zero days rest, and what's his offensive rating on three day three plus days rest? Just take a shot in the dark. 
Oh, wow. Okay, like offensive rating, like the points per 100? Yeah, points per 100 possessions, yeah. All right, so I'll go... I'll go 105 on zero. Okay, that's close. It's actually 100. Okay, so not, and I'll not go great, not great. And I'll go 125 on three. That's really close. It's 121. So you had wow. the you had the stri- you had about a 20 20 point differential, and you were correct in that you just were scaled a little bit too high. So yeah, Kevin. And now the really nice thing is Kevin loves defensive rating is 96 on three plus days rest, and that's a uh, that's six games they've played, so almost 200 minutes. So I think it's significant. Jeez, 121 and 96. That's, yeah, that's not that's, bad. That's like dominant, right? Um, and he's actually pretty good. Uh, he he's pretty awful on a, a second out of back to back. I'll put it that way. He's really bad, but he's pretty good. Other than that, so that bodes well for the playoffs when you're never going to play a back to back in the playoffs. So let's yeah. go to let's go to LeBron. Um, what would you say that's not quite as severe but what would you say uh lebron's um let's just go defense what would you say his defensive rating is on zero days rest versus three plus days rest all right uh let's see zero days rest i'll go like 108 it's 103. Actually, his one-day rest is 106, which is horrible. Yeah, um, it's really bad. Like, no, I was figuring, like, his... Yeah, well, that's when he's man. played the most minutes is on one-day rest. So his defense okay, has not yeah. been good this year. But he's played six games on three-plus days rest. What would you guess his defensive rating is? Six games over that. Uh, well, I mean, if, if it's the it's potent what that perception is. So I'm going to go with... 92. Oh, really close. It was 93. Man, uh, are you cheating or what? Are you like... <laughs> I'm not cheating. I'm man, not cheating, really man. I just, and, and LeBron's I, I like rating jumps to 117. So again, on three oh, days man. rest, uh, I mean, LeBron is dominant. Um, now oh. we're going to get into uh, Kyrie Irving, who has really only played about He's only played three games on three-plus days rest. He's been incredible. The Cavs have been incredible, but it's only 85 minutes. I don't know how much stock to put into it, but his defensive rating is 95 um, oh, wow. on three-plus days rest, which is really good, especially for him. But the interesting thing about Kyrie is if you look at zero days, one day, and two days, uh there's like no rhyme or reason to it. And so this isn't as much a question as I'm just going to tell you that on zero days rest, Kyrie's offensive rating is 114. On right. one, on, okay, so I will ask you, on one day rest, do you think that gets higher or lower? Well, I mean, you phrased the question, so I'm assuming now it's lower. Yeah, it's lower. It's 113. Okay, now what about two days rest? Do you think it gets higher or lower than 113? Uh, phew. I don't know. Let's let's go down for fun. Yeah, it goes way down. It goes down to ninety. Really? It goes down his <laughs> on two days rest. He's played over a hundred minutes. His offensive rating is ninety six, and his defensive rating is wow. one one fifteen. Abysmal. But 
Wait, what games were those? I, I don't know. Just those I feel like I need to Good look God. somehow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's rough. If I can find two day two days rest games. Um oh, it's not gonna show them in a way that I can view them easily, but yeah. I mean, I'm, maybe he had a couple stinkers in there, but the I feel like the delta for Kyrie is so high. And I know I asked you before, <laughs> Kevin Love, do you think it's more mental or physical? But I think you can say the same thing for Kyrie. Like, I don't know if you ever – do you ever look at a game score? The basketball reference has a, yeah. has a number called game score. Okay. So I'm looking through Kyrie's game scores. I mean, you got ones in the 20s, which is like – that's like all NBA first team type stuff. Yeah. And then you got the game against Denver. He had a 1.9. I mean, that's, you know, not good. Now, he didn't have to play that much, but okay. Wait, Tom, then, was that was that two days rest? I think that was probably two days rest. It was two days rest, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was the game against Brooklyn, uh, where he was bad. You know, and I, I heard Nate talking about how bad he was, but he was six of twenty-two, one of eight, just three, three, yeah. Um, and he, you know, his game score was a three point five. So there's there's three there's a couple three point fives in here. There's a he had a game against OKC where he only played nine minutes. The Cavs won the game by a lot. Um, I don't know if he was that the game, the bed bug game. That was the bed bug yeah, game, wasn't so. it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's part of the delta. But <laughs> but but you agree with me that like for a guy that has his talent and his ability to take over a game, he has games where he just doesn't really do much, or or he's just not impactful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's been he's been really he's been really inconsistent this season, and that's uh, I don't know, it's what it is, right? Yeah, it is. It is what it is. So, so anyway, I don't know if that was a good potent perceptions or not, but it's interesting to see <laughs> that Love and LeBron certainly on on three days rest, and and really anything other than a back to back are pretty formidable. Whereas Kyrie on a back-to-back is fine, and he's just kind of all over the place. So it doesn't seem like rest really affects him, which I guess that makes sense. He's a young player, um, but certainly rest seems to affect Love and LeBron. So those would be the guys you would think Ty Lue would be resting going down the stretch um, leading into the playoffs. So. I hope so. So, Ben, let's wrap it up. Um, so Mozgov, I feel like, has been probably the biggest disappointment this year when you look at what he was able to do last year and be such a critical piece to that puzzle um, and this year. What what have you seen from him lately? You know, He had that DNP, which I, I remember listening to you and Nate talk about how they're not doing him any favors with the way they're kind of jerking him around. Do you think he'll be a factor in the playoffs, or will it be very like matchup-specific? And uh, and what kind of money do you think he'll get this offseason? Now I'm still holding out a lot of hope for Mozgov. Uh, I think he has progressed recently. He's he's shooting shooting a lot better around the hoop recently, and trying to throw the ball down. I saw a nice thing finally uh, against the Knicks when he missed a, a, a bunny and he didn't just dunk it. And LeBron actually tried to encourage him and just be like, "Hey, man, it's cool, but dunk it." but it's cool instead of, you know, looking the other direction, like why well, I can't believe I have to play with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, that was nice to see, you know, 
I don't know what LeBron does in practice versus what he does in games, and maybe this isn't such a rarity, but it's it's been a rarity on the floor to see him support Mozgov in that kind of way. Um, so I think I think it's not. I mean, obviously matchups always play a, a role, but I think he's got to be your starter going forward. I think he's just better starting. I think TT is better off the bench. Mm-hmm. I think that the the way the matchups work with the uh, the way the lineups work with with Kevin and Maz together and Channing Fry and, and Tristan together. If you're going to go big with that or go uh, Tristan and LeBron up front, like the way that the lineups work, it just makes more sense. And, and Lou has just, he's got to decide on a rotation soon. Yeah. Like he just has to do it. Uh, and I think that's the best choice as far as, uh, as the, as his contract goes, I think it's just totally dependent on his playoff performance. I think if he rounds into shape, He's looking at between twelve and fifteen million a year. If he's if he doesn't, I think he still probably makes ten million a year because he's seven yeah. foot and he can he can do stuff and that's, not even thirty yet. He's a legit, yeah, and it's, legit big. I mean, he basically has to totally you know what is what is it a nice way to to talk about doing certain things in the bed that you shouldn't be doing like what's the, what's the phrase that we can say on podcast like, <laughs> not not making it to the bathroom in the bed um anyway the uh i mean he's basically got to be awful in the playoffs and from here on out to to get anything lower than than 10 a year because that's just what the what the rate is as ridiculous as that is because you think about you know him he's probably going to get 10 million a year and people some people are still questioning whether delhi will get offered 10 million a year which i absolutely think he will oh that'll be a nice payday for him I, i'm not i don't should, i don't disagree with yeah. you um i am really intrigued at what kind of offers delhi will get because i think he would be uh a starter quality but definitely probably your six man off the bench kind of backup on many teams and uh, he just does so much. And he's, I mean, you look at his growth, I feel like, yeah, eight to 10 million a year is not, is not, uh, is not crazy given what the salary cap's going to be. Uh, I think, I, I think it's crazy that we think that we even have to, you know, uh, mitigate our enthusiasm by saying it's not crazy. Do you know what I mean? Well, the only like, thing, this is a guy. I, I do, I, I, I am with you there. I mean, there's, I, you and me are probably the biggest deli. Well, and Nate, well, and everyone, right? That is a huge deli fan. Is like is like singing the gospel of Delhi. But I, I will say one of his weaknesses that would that would hurt or would show up for many teams is that when he has to be the primary offensive creator, um, you know, you, you can take stuff away from him. I think he's perfect on a team like the Cavs that has all these high-usage players. And I'm not saying he can't be the primary creator. I'm saying I've noticed a lot of times, you know, when it's like, if you were to compare him to a guy like Reggie Jackson. I mean, Jackson, if he's on an island with someone, he's excited about it, and he's going to go to the rack, and he can make things happen. And that's a matchup he wants. Delhi would prefer uh, to get a trap and to dump it off to Tristan for the alley-oop. Um, you, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like on certain teams, if he had to be a high-usage offensive player, he could get exposed a little bit. See, I think he can be a high-usage offensive player and very effective, but he needs a role man. And if you, the times that he's suffered 
is when he doesn't have anybody on the floor with him who knows how to roll. So, like, I don't have the numbers behind, but I would I would venture to say that if he is playing minutes maybe with Fry and Love together or, you know, just lacking a big man who is a legitimate threat to dunk the alley-oop, mm-hmm. I think that can be a problem for him. Um, but, you know, I feel like that's a problem for a lot of guys in, in, in the league now. And maybe just some of these guys like to go one-on-one more than Delhi necessarily likes to go one-on-one, but I don't know if it's really more effective, you know? Um, I think, honestly, I, you know, ideally he plays with a, with a team that has a, a pretty prominent wing scorer, some good floor spacing, and a, and a role man, but, you know, you could say that about anybody. I, that sounds like a, a, a recipe for success for a, a traditional point guard, which he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say... I, my 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 guess is he gets offered ten million, uh, four years, forty million, and that's a bargain. I think that a team wow. will probably. I think a team, you know, you know, assuming that he even approaches how he played last year in the playoffs, yeah. and he's, you know, this is also coming off a, a month where he's he struggled a little bit in this this month. Yeah, he has. But but this, you know, even his struggling like this month, I was thinking, I'm like, oh man, he's really just not hitting his, his shot as much. And I look at the numbers, and he's still over forty percent from behind the arc. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is a guy who's who's making the shots that he's needing to make, and he can guard two positions and he can play two positions offensively because he's a good enough shooter off ball that he doesn't have to even be on ball. And you know, they talk about the the, the Corey Joseph deal, like you know, Winters was talking about that he he anticipates. Delhi getting at least a Corey Joseph deal. I think Joseph has already outperformed his contract. I mean, that kid's had a great season for the Raptors. Right. Uh, but yeah, he, I, you he know, was so, he was someone I targeted um, a couple of years ago in a piece I did for Got Buckets. As yeah, if you wanted I, to create a team uh, from, you know, really, I, I don't know if it was like if you could take, uh, like the worst guy on any team, like if you were drafting a uh, an expansion team, remember how they used to do that? And Corey Joseph yeah, yeah, was yeah. a guy I targeted off of the uh, the Spurs because he's such a good up tempo player. Like that guy, if yeah. he's in an up tempo system, he's, he's so really fast. Good. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, what is what is Shump, Shump's making ten million a year? Right? Isn't that basically? Yeah, yeah the, and I think he's overpaid. I, I get why he got that kind of money, but man, he has really disappointed me this year in how limited he is offensively. I, I just feel like no, he's, he's a liability on offense. It's been rough, but if you think about that, that over last summer when he like what the kind of thought was for Shump and what he could be and what he's given you on the court, right. and that in the previous salary cap bump before the the what people assume will be, you know, basically it's a, a fifteen to twenty percent thought for like you know what we thought about contracts before you add, right, like. You know, you give Shump's contract to Delhi, you feel pretty okay about it right now, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely. I, I feel great about it. And I hope the Cavs lock him up. I mean, I know they're, they've spent so much money now. But um, it, honestly, if I had to choose between Delhi and Mozgov, I think Delhi's the much more indispensable player. I mean, like I mean, like I was just saying, he shows up in eight of the top ten uh, three-man lineups. And... Um, and, and yeah, I, I was high on Delhi before he was sticking all these threes and all these spot up shots because I just like the way yeah. he, he plays a floor game and I love the way 
he plays um, team defense. Like, you know, his individual defense, he's not like Tony Allen by any stretch, but his yeah. team defense is some of the best I've seen, and, and he got, defends the pick and roll well. I do think he suffers when he's on an island sometimes, and we've seen that a little bit, especially the last two months. You know, We saw Kyle Lowry really torch him, and we saw – uh, some other point guards take it to him. Well, I mean, they're, they're going to kill Kyrie too. That it's not like he's worse. Yeah, than I mean, Kyrie. I think I think the list the list of guys who have even the slightest uh, chance of shutting somebody down one on one is is short. It's short, you know. Yeah, and and, right. and and the guy and he does so many good things defensively. And like you know, a lot of the numbers don't don't necessarily paint him as a fantastic defender. But what he does do. And what we've talked about a lot at the blog is is what he does to affect the rebounding numbers. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And how how big that is, and people don't think about that enough. Um, you know, it's another situation. I mean, the, the the Cavs against the Knicks again with with Delhi in the starting lineup. You know, look at the that box store. You don't think that okay, Delhi didn't get a bunch of rebounds, but you know that's it's not a, a surprise when. You know, Mozgov does a good job boxing out. Delhi does a great job boxing out. Then, you know, fine. LeBron and Love can grab the rebounds. I don't care who gets them, just, you know, as long as the Cavs do, right? Right, right. Well, you know what? I, I That was great, all that. And I'm, I'm going to wrap it up uh, based on some of the things you said. Because while you were talking, I, I muted myself and I was looking up some stats. Cause I got this annoying cherry keyboard that's so loud. But so when you're talking <laughs> about Mozgov, this was what my one of my potent perception questions should have been: Is do you know that Mozgov has improved his field goal percentage every single month? So that does not surprise. Me. Yeah. In in November, he shot forty five percent, which is really putrid for a seven foot. Yeah, runner. when he should have been like rehabbing his knee and not playing basketball. Exactly, but, yeah. exactly. So December still struggled, shot fifty three percent. Um, but then January, he shot, uh, and January is where he kind of got booted from the starting lineup, but he still played as many, he still played 260 minutes. He shot 60%. And then in February, he didn't really start at all. He shot 62%. And now March, he kind of got put back in the starting lineup. He shot 64%. So that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see that. That means that I'm guessing he's not getting his shot blocked as much, or he's he's getting the ball. And he's I, I saw some post moves he was putting on people in the last game I watched thoroughly, which was like two weeks ago. And uh, <laughs> I thought I thought, wow, that was a nice little up and under move he just did. So maybe he'll peak at the right time, you know, if this trend is any indication. That's uh, I hope so. I'm I'm a believer, or at least I'm a I'm a hoper. <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's really now his defense, according to defensive rating, hasn't really changed. It's it's hovered in the low 100s, which isn't great. But he wasn't really a great defensive player last year. But he was a good offensive player, and he ran the court and he rolled to the hoop. And you know, we were always talking about if he dies, he dies. You know, he was just throwing down on people all the time. Uh, so maybe yeah. everything will come together for him at the right time. And then the other thing I want to talk about, I want to go back to the Kevin Love rest thing because we were talking about we, we've one of the themes of this podcast has been Kevin Love when he struggles is it rest or is it mental? Well, here would be an argument that maybe it's fatigue. Uh, so so Kevin Love has played um, 
440 minutes on zero days rest. So 440 back to back minutes. And he has, yeah. and he has 40 free throw attempts. Um, so wow. about one free throw attempt per 10 minutes. That's not good. Uh, on three plus days rest, he's played 180 minutes and he has 34 free throw attempts. So that's like one every six. So that's a 40% increase in free throw rate from um, back-to-backs to... So that, that's one metric that I think free throw rate has a lot to do with aggression level. Um, and then at the same time, uh, what was the other one I was looking at for him? His... Oh, oh uh, blocks. So in 180 minutes, he only has four blocks, which is really bad for a big man. And on three plus on three that's that's on no days rest back to back on three plus days rest in 180 minutes he has five blocks he has more in those five games or in those six games 180 minutes um, he he fouls a lot less he gets more blocks he gets uh, I mean it, it just it, it looks like he plays a more aggressive game based on his box score numbers. I gotta say, I rest. wish he, I wish he fouled more. He doesn't yeah, foul enough for soft. me. Yeah, he's kind of soft. Yeah, you're, you're right. He's kind of soft. Um, and okay, I, mean, I want, so, I want. What was the other one I was going to show you? Oh, um, I wish I could do these stats a little differently because I got to do the math in my head. But uh, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm just checking out the personal fouls right now. I mean, he's he's averaging two fouls a game. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's not like he's like, in danger of falling out. Yeah, he needs to be laying yeah. the wood on people a little more. Let's, let's pick agree. it up, you know? I agree yeah. with you, yeah. So, um, so the Cavs as a whole, so we've been talking about, you know, rest and all that. This, Windhorst, one of the themes of his pod with uh, Tony Cartagena was, these guys, he, he called the Cavs the clank cousins because they, yeah. take, they yeah. take so many threes and they miss them. Well, look at the difference in approach. When they uh, when they are on um, zero days rest, they're shooting thirty one threes per game, um, and they're only making thirty three percent of those. And uh, their um, boy, their their turnovers are up, and their steals and blocks are down. And likewise, on zero days rest, the Cavs have played 17 games on zero days rest, back-to-backs. They are 10-7, and seven, not great, and their point differential is basically two, plus two. So clearly, we've, we've identified that they have a problem with that. Um, oh, the other one, their free throw rate, their team free throw rate on the, on the second night of a back-to-back, they're not even getting to the line 19 times. Now, if you look at every other thing, one-day rest, two-day rest, three-days rest, they're above 20 in free throw rate, so their free throw rate goes up. Their three-point attempts go down. They're below 30, and their free, their three-point percentage goes up. So it feels like they're just settling, you know? They're just jacking yeah. up a lot of threes because they don't have the energy to really get into their offense. The numbers certainly bear that out. Uh, if you look, I mean, they're a pretty good team on one-day rest. They're 30-9. and nine. They have a point differential of 6.8. 
that's pretty good. Um, so yeah. con- conceivably, that's the kind of stuff you're going to be dealing with in the postseason. So maybe they'll well, they, play a more disciplined game. They also have a tendency when they're down to try to just shoot threes to get themselves back in. Yeah. And so if a lot if it's not going well because of their lack of energy or whatever it is, I mean, I wonder what the the disparity of threes went ahead versus threes went down. Ooh, but, that's a good question. I'm going to look that up and maybe I'll add it to the uh, the little mini recap I post on when I uh, post this podcast. What's the disparity nice. in three-point rate when they're ahead versus they're behind? Uh, that's a good one. I'm going to look that one up. So any, any parting thoughts, Ben, before – you know, we, we went at a little over an hour, so we kept it <laughs> – I don't want to say long in the tooth, but it, it seems it seems like – there are cosmic I mean, forces that keep us from having a podcast under an hour. <laughs> by Cavs by Cavs the you know podcast standards, this is this is pretty short. This, this is a sprint. Is pretty short. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um. Yeah, man. I like basketball. I was gonna say something. Oh, I'm. Ha- I hope that everybody enjoyed Peeps and the peanut butter eggs of Easter time. Oh. Because yeah. I do I do miss those things living abroad. Do you have Cadbury those, those, stuff over there in Germany? Nah, I mean, there's some great chocolate. I'm not going to complain about the chocolate selection, but, you know, when it comes to, like, Halloween and, and Easter, yeah. you miss your old, you know, standbys, you know? Yeah. Well, that's funny. So uh, we took our girls to an Easter egg hunt um, that some local church put on. And, I, you know, they always mean well when they do that kind of stuff. But it was it was really funny. They split the field into two age groups. And so this guy with a microphone is like, Ages two through five over here on the left, and that's both of my girls are under are under five. So I thought, okay, this would be good. And then ages six and up over on the right. So the girls go out there, and first of all, I think they had like the the ratio of eggs to children was like two point five. It was like there was there was not a lot, and of course you get these little like five year old <laughs> boys that are gonna like get every single egg. And my girls, you know, they they can be aggressive, but it takes them a while to kind of warm up to their environment. So I knew they were hardly going to get any eggs. So they go out, and what was really nice was there was a there was some boys next to us, and their father encouraged them to give our girls some of their eggs because they had hoarded a lot of eggs. So we get back to the house, and the girls want to open up the eggs, and I think, okay, you know, there's going to be jelly beans or something in there. There's that cheap chewing gum in there. Oh, like, no. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, what two-year-old chews gum? This is, this is, like, the worst candy you could possibly – well, it's the worst candy you could get, period. But it, it's certainly the worst candy you can get for little kids. So that was kind of fun. Yeah, the, the only time I liked that gum was if it was if it were, baseball. like, in uh, – yeah, like, the baseball cards from, like, 1986. Like, yeah. that, that I was all about that. That yeah, was the, cool. The top chewing gum, yeah. Yeah, uh, when it was, like, that weird white – you know, coating. Yeah. And if you like didn't open up a pack for like a decade and you still chewed the gum, but it was like, man, what has happened to this gum? Yeah, this tastes exactly the same as it would have had I <laughs> eaten it in nineteen eighty six. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Well yeah, I'm sorry, you know, you don't have the uh the typical American Easter Easter cane. So are you ever gonna come back? Like are you gonna live in Germany the rest of your life or you know, what what's the uh what's the future hold? That's a good question, man. Uh, I mean, as far as as right now is concerned, I don't see a, a comeback date, you know? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I live here. I like here. I've been I've been here now for six and a half years in Europe. Yeah. Um, and things are going well enough that you know the life over here is nice. I uh, I can imagine a situation of going back to America, but it's it's probably not likely to be honest. Oh wow. Okay. Well, yeah. just uh, I'll have to, I'll have to send you a back to back World War Champs tank top you can wear over there in Germany. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Well, you know what? This has been a fun podcast. I've never, I've never gotten into one just with you. So this was, this is a pleasure. Thanks for staying up till some ungodly hour. And uh, it's, uh, you know, is it like six a? Is it like six a.m. there? Yes, sir. Oh my god! Is it, is the sun up yet? Like, <laughs> it's it's working its way. It's it's peaking. No, not quite yet. Not quite yet. Okay. Well, you you enjoy that uh, artist's uh, lifestyle, so you can sleep till two. Hopefully, hopefully you don't get a gift yeah. or something early. And no, I got late. The show's late. It's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking <laughs> forward to the next uh, the next couple. Well, I'm actually not looking for the next couple weeks. I'm looking forward to the playoffs. So let's just get here already. Get this regular season over with. And uh, and as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs Podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're out. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.